but it is the month of June, which has now become the month called Pride Month. And you're seeing all across this land, and, and now globally, this uprising against God, and that's what it is. An insurrection against God, the Creator. God, the lawgiver. An insurrection that is under the banner, under the flag of the rainbow of all things, which is a bit of madness. For while the rainbow is a promise of God's grace and that He will not again bring judgment upon a world of sinners through watery deluge, it is a reminder that He once brought global judgment on a world of sinners through watery deluge. And it should remind us that God is holy and that God is just. And that at some point, His mercy runs out and judgment comes. His patience runs out. And judgment comes for individual sinners and at times, all of humanity together. And so I am compelled to stand and fight a good fight on this Lord's Day in that realm to preach a topical sermon titled, let's see, let's get creative here, Homosexuality Damns Souls, Destroys Lives and Nations. Homosexuality Damns Souls and Destroys Lives and Nations. That is the truth, a truth that now has become nearly a criminal statement. A truth that now will get you canceled in the very least. Shamed, scorned, perhaps fired, shunned by society, run out of whatever social clubs or circles you might run in. And nevertheless, it's God's truth. And we speak it not out of hatred or bigotry, but out of love. Love for God our Creator and lawgiver foremost, and love for mankind as a whole and individual sinners who are perishing in that particular sin, which has become the sin of our day. It's the sin of our day, and that more and more men and women are embracing it, more and more fathers and mothers are celebrating their children embracing it, exposing their children to it gladly, an act of profound evil and foolishness. It's being codified and legislated. What once was unthinkable, so-called gay marriage, gay mirage, is now the norm. It is no marriage. It is not even a mirage. It's an abomination. It is an act of Hatred toward God and hatred toward our fellow man. And so out of love, we must speak to this and speak consistently. We must die to self, recognizing that our culture is ready, primed, and trained to stand up, point the finger, and call you a bigot, call you a hater. And we must stand up in the face of that hatred, of that lie, the prevailing lie of our day and speak the truth with love, without shame, without equivocation, without wavering. We stand as a people with waist gird with truth. We have a spine, a God-given spine because we have waist gird up with truth. And so we stand up straight and we speak up And all the circles that God has given us opportunity and responsibility to speak into. For love of God and love of neighbors perishing in their sin. Those that still hold to the truth that homosexuality is sin that damns souls and destroys lives and nations are apt to point out at the homosexual community, are apt to point out at politicians legislating the sin of homosexuality 
In our last app, to point in at the church, to point in at the pastor, to point in at the individual Christian that has long committed the crime of apathy and silence where they should have been speaking truth with love. It has been said that if we are faithful in every area except that area where Satan himself is attacking, then we are not faithful at all, but cowards. And in the case of pastors, hirelings, or worse, wolves in sheep's clothing. And Satan is most definitely, most specifically, most directly attacking mankind in this realm of sexual immorality. Perversion upon perversion upon perversion. Now let me outline the brief history of the church's failure to speak truth with love in the area of sexual immorality. We stopped speaking truth with love in the area of fornication some time ago. And fornication became allowable in Christian circles, in the Christian church, in Christian families, where individuals can be involved in known fornication, that sex outside of marriage, and no one says anything because we're all just too polite. And after all, the universal morality of our culture is be nice. And it's not nice to say, hey, fornication is sin. And you profess Christ as your Lord, but this is a denial of that lordship. You need to repent of that profession of Christ as your Lord or repent of that sin because they both can't be true. I recommend you repent of the sin. So we long ago gave up dealing with fornication. Church discipline is an act of like church destruction in the modern church culture. You hit the self-destruct button. If you mention church discipline, church what? The idea that the pastor is anything other than a professional entertainer, giving tips for life week by week and fun stories and you know, a joke and perhaps authoring the skits and acting in them too? Rather, the pastor is the prophet of God, the messenger of the Lord, preaching the holy scriptures to make hagios, holy saints, washed with the water of the word, renewed in the mind, made complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, righteous work. And so we've, we've come a long ways from Dealing with sin in the local church out of love of God and love of the sinner and love of the corporate, the whole of Christ's church. If we allow fornication, oh, well, that's allowable? Okay, great. So you can be a fornicator and a Christian too. Ah, yeah. In most churches, you can be a fornicator and a Christian too, an active fornicator and a Christian in good standing too, and no one's going to say a word, and the pastor will just shake your hand at the door if he's still such a backwoods fuddy-duddy to stand at the door and not just, you know, hang out at the donut stand or hop in his car and take off after his skit's done, after his uh, Saturday Night Live monologue is done. So fornication. Then adultery. We graduate from fornication to adultery. And now... Not only are we allowing fornication in Christ's church, but adultery. You can commit adultery and still be welcome in the front row. You can commit adultery and still be welcome in, in good standing in the fellowship of Christ's church, unrepentant. I remember years ago, in God's providence, I showed up in Dubai in this church, this little illegal church plant, this little insurrectionist illegal church plant in Dubai. And they were church disciplining an unrepentant adulterer, and they put him out. And it was sad and hard. And I walk into this as a complete stranger in this little church, and, you know, it was kind of awkward. And then I left, went to Somalia, and did some things, and hung out with some friends, and, and came back months later on the way back to the United States, and, and happened in God's providence to be there the very Sunday they were receiving back the repentant adulterer. And there were tears of joy. Where there were tears of sadness months before, now there were tears of joy 
And they had this great feast, and I was introduced to all this wonderful Middle Eastern food. It was great on so many levels. Beautiful. And for the rest of that week that we were there in Dubai, the man who came and picked us up every single day as an act of ongoing repentance, how can I serve the Lord in any way possible, was that repentant adulterer. I will be there. What time are you free? We'd love to have you come in fellowship. I will pick you up. It was beautiful. So, fornication, adultery, and we just graduated the next step, the next level, homosexuality, where once fornication in Christ's church is unheard of, you wouldn't have active fornicators knowingly fornicating and welcoming fellowship and good standing. No, we would love God enough and love them enough to do church discipline to say, look, you've got to repent. You've got to repent or you're going to have to go. We can't have you here thinking that you're right with God and bringing that sin, that unrighteous leaven, 1 Corinthians 5, into Christ's church to infect it all. And then we allowed that. And then we went to the next level, adultery. Adultery used to be shocking. You used to get fired for adultery in your secular job. Oh, yeah. It was such a breach of character and trust that, hey, we're done with you. We're done with you. And if you were like a CEO of a big business, this is going to be in the evening news, and they're going to show you the door without the gold watch. It was a deal. But now, adultery is a common deal. In Christ's church, but wait, it gets worse. Homosexuality, the unthinkable, right? The unthinkable. In the biblical church that believes God's word, the unthinkable. Now, for some of you that are young, you think unthinkable. What are you talking about, pastor? Unthinkable? Some of you, you're boiling in the pot and you don't even know it. Yes, it's unthinkable that we would say you can be a homosexual and a Christian too, but it started a long time ago with you can be a fornicator and a Christian too and an adulterer and a Christian too, and now a homosexual and a Christian too. We've still left off a few things. You can't be a murderer and a Christian too. Oh, wait, you can. You can be an ardent, passionate Democrat voting for the slaughter of the unborn every opportunity you get and be a Christian too. And most of the churches see the shining sea. But wait, no murderer will inherit the kingdom of God, thus saith the Lord. Oh, but I'm not murdering them. I'm just voting for it to be lawful and legal. I'm just voting for a woman's right to choose. To choose what? To murder unborn babies by the millions? Compromise begets compromise begets compromise. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. There's so many places we could go. This will not be an exposition. It'll be an overview of what God's Word says to this. And since we're not having an afternoon study, we'll just incorporate it all into one. You look comfortable, well-fed. First Corinthians 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that? This is written to who? The church. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Why does the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, have to pin that? Because they're acting like they don't know it. They're acting like you can live unrighteously and inherit the kingdom of God. What's that mean, inherit the kingdom of God? Go to heaven. Abide in God's grace in the new heavens and new earth forever as a child of God. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Why does he have to say that? Because they are deceived, thinking the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to clarify, neither fornicators. Some of you might have thought I was being judgmental earlier. I was. I was making a right biblical judgment. Thus saith the Lord. And if you can't stomach making right biblical judgments, you need to repent and confess Christ as Lord. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. How about that? We used to disallow idolatry in Christ's church, but now you can be a Christian and an idolater too. And we've got a whole world of professing non-Catholics saying that Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ, even though Catholicism is idolatry from the front door to the back, from the beginning of every service they have to the end. The summit of Rome's theology is the mass, and the mass is idolatry. 
Christ called out of heaven into a piece of bread to be worshipped, to be eaten for justification. It's both idolatry and a false gospel. And yet, so much of the professing evangelical Christian world is now made peace with idolatry. They've made peace with Mormonism even. It's fine. We're all Christians, right? We all love Jesus. You can define Jesus however you want. Brother of Lucifer, that's good. That's fine. It used to be we understood that Mormonism was a, say it, cult. It's a cult. Uh, It's so judgmental, Pastor. You're right. It's a right judgment. A right judgment made out of love for God. Love for Jesus. Jesus who is not the brother of Lucifer. See, that offends me because I love Jesus that some people would say he's the brother of Lucifer. It offends me because I love Mormons and I don't want them going to hell following the false prophet Joseph Smith. Oh, that's another judgment. False prophet. Yes, another right judgment. A false prophet because he denies and contradicts the word of God. 1 Corinthians 9 Verse 10, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Oh, you know, light the church on fire. You can't read this in most evangelical churches today. You don't even read this, much less preach it, that homosexuals and sodomites are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You don't even breathe those terms. You don't even utter them. But you must, if you love Jesus and you love perishing sinners, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. What are thieves today in our culture? We really, we're losing it. See, I used to be able to say we still still understand that stealing is wrong, but no, 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 no. Reparations. Thieves are reparation specialists here in Portland, right? They're just getting their reparations. Nor thieves, oh, excuse me, communists, socialists, thieves. Thieves. Where do you get property rights from? The Word of God, the God of the Word, and nowhere else. Without God and His Word, there are no property rights. The state can take it all. Your neighbor can take it all. And I guess your preference is that you get to keep some or all. But that's just your preference without God. God says you shall not steal. That's the foundation of all property rights. That there truly is a right there, an absolute. Thieves. Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a bad neighborhood. You don't want to live there. Verse 11, and such were some of you. That's the amazing good news that we have lost. Such were some of you. It's amazing. It's glorious. I love to preach this in the open air. Such were some of you. Now I got to preach what comes before it, don't I? I got to make those judgments. You're so judgmental, bigoted, hateful. No, loving. Loving God, loving perishing sinners. And then giving them the good news. The bad news, yes, it's sin. And you will perish if you're in it. Even if you're in it professing Jesus. This is written to the church. This is written to the church. Do not be deceived. It's written to the church. Do you not know? You'll not inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you can't just say a magic prayer. There is no magic prayer. You can't just say Jesus is your Lord. Right? Romans 10, 9, if anyone confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, believes in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, they shall be saved. It's not just something you say. Do we not recall Matthew 7? Lord, Lord, go from me. I never knew you. Jesus responds. Why? You who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. And so those who practice lawlessness, and we're not talking legalism, you you don't have to perfect righteousness this side of heaven to go to heaven, but you're no longer a practicer of lawlessness. You're no longer given over to these lifestyles of sin. You are not a fornicator. You're not an adulterer. You're not homosexual. You're not a thief by nature. This is not where you live and dwell peacefully. You might stumble into one of these sins, but you don't live in it. You don't live in it. 
Because you can't, because the Spirit of God lives in you. And you're a new creature. The old past, behold, all things made new. Thus, the good news, verse 11, such were some of you. Oh, we've got to declare that. That's the good news. You don't have to be a slave of sin. You don't have to be a thief anymore. You don't have to be a liar anymore. You don't have to be a drunkard anymore. You don't have to be a fornicator, an adulterer, an idolater anymore. Here's what you must do. Mark 1, 15, you must do. Here's the pastor's legalism coming out again. You must do? That's so rigid. You must do it. You know why? Because Jesus said you must. You must repent and believe the gospel. And you don't believe the gospel if you haven't repented. Look, if you're still worshiping idols in the church of Rome, idols in the Latter-day Saints cult, idols in the Jehovah's Witness cult, idols in the cult of Islam, if you're still worshiping idols, you don't worship the one true God. You don't believe the gospel. You must repent of idolatry and believe the gospel. You must have the right God and the right gospel. If you're still in fornication. You're living a lifestyle of fornication. You know, because I'm young and I'm single or I'm older and I'm single. No, I don't know. I don't know that kind of Christianity because the Bible doesn't know that kind of Christianity because Jesus doesn't know that kind of Christianity because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith and he doesn't author that kind of Christianity. And so such were some of you. is amazing good news. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, we want to say, we just want to skip all that, really, right, to justified. The only part of verse 11 most of today's church, the evangelifish church in America wants, is you were justified. They don't want washed. They don't want sanctified. They don't want were. They just want justified. And this is the kind of amazing grace that Tullian, grandson of Billy Graham, Tullian, a heretic and a serial adulterer, who is, guess what, pastoring again because today's Christianity can't get enough of him. Why? Because he's so cool and he's such a good speaker and he has that permanent tan and he's got a good history of being a ladies' man and a liar about being a ladies' man and he accused his wife of being the cause of his adulterous affair, but wait, then there's the next adulterous affair and the next... On and on it goes. Tullian, a bad actor. But guess what? The evangelifish church, the false church, can't get enough of him. And so they, they set him on the shelf for a few months and then they bring him right back in and Tullian gets to preach his radical grace again that skips by were, that skips by washed, that skips by sanctified just to justified. I'm just over here justified. And Tullian claims to be reformed. You know, grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus alone. He's got all the reform shtick down. But he has not been reformed. He's not been made a new creature. He's not been born again from above. That's what Jesus said, was it not? You must be born again. Does that evidence being born again? Serial adultery while being a pastor? He's just an example of God's amazing grace. No, he's not. What a blasphemy of amazing grace. Amazing grace comes with amazing power. It does not leave you a slave to fornication, adultery, idolatry, homosexuality, sodomy, thievery, or any of the rest of the lot there listed. Do not be deceived. And it doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter whose grandson you are. It doesn't matter how good a speaker you are, how deep your tan is. Do not be deceived. Such were some of you. That's good news, not bad news. That's good news, not legalism. Oh, how dare you say such were. You're denying the grace of God to those who still are. No, I'm pleading that they would repent and receive the grace of God for the first time. I'm pleading that you stop lying to them, Tullian, and all the Tullian wannabes, and tell them the truth, that unless they repent and believe the gospel, they'll not see the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. That's hope, not legalism. Hope. Such were some of you. You've been set free. You're not that anymore. Such were some of you. But you were washed. That's the power of God. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Now we want justified 
We want it fully. We want it gloriously. We want to grab onto it tenaciously while rejecting were, while rejecting washed, while rejecting sanctified. We want to hold tenaciously to justified. But that's a lie. Which is why the Spirit of God moved Paul to say, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And this is a prevalent lie, a massive lie, a satanic lie with satanic power that has infiltrated Christ's church. That you can be dead in sin and alive in Christ at the same time. You can be a slave of sin and a slave to Jesus simultaneous. That you can be a homosexual and a Christian too. Praise God. Such were, past tense, some of you. But you were, past tense, washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. By the name of the Lord Jesus. How dare we blaspheme the name of Jesus by saying, no, they weren't to were, to washed, and to sanctified. And yes, they were to justified. That's a blasphemy of the name of Jesus. That is not the gospel of Jesus. That is not the salvation that Jesus provides. That is not the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, the omnipotent one. Such were some of you. How? By the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't want to go out and preach a gospel to the masses who are dying in their sins that offers them this false hope, this lie of Tullian, lie of Satan. Just say this prayer. Just claim the name of Jesus. Don't worry about repentance. Don't worry about actually confessing Jesus as Lord in some meaningful manner that would evidence it being real. Just profess the name. To just profess the name is to blaspheme the name. To just confess the name is to blaspheme the name. We need to cry out that the power of God, if we've not experienced the power of God in the gift of repentance, we need to cry out for that power. Repentance is a gift. Faith is a gift. And when grace comes upon an individual... Repentance and faith are the evidences thereof. And they have been set free. They're no longer slaves. They no longer practice lawlessness as Jesus spoke to in Matthew 7. It's not a matter of merely calling him Lord, Lord. It's not a matter of doing religious things as we see in Matthew 7. Let's turn there briefly. Keep your your hand there in 1 Corinthians 6. But go over to Matthew 7. Let's do the text justice and actually open it. Verse 21, Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Well, that's legalism, Jesus. Who are you talking to? No, that's not legalism. That's reality. That's the real power of God into salvation. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? There'll be many Tullians. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that's what Tullian will hear unless by true amazing grace... He repents and confesses Christ as Lord. And one of the first signs of that will be he will never step foot in a pulpit again. He'll sit in the back and be real quiet and he'll get pale. He'll be a stranger to the tanning booth. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? So they did all these things in the name of Jesus, but they did not truly know him. They had not truly confessed him as Lord while yet professing him as Lord. There's a difference. 
And then I will declare, verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. He says, many will say to me on that day, and I will say to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I've often given this illustration regarding the president. If you run up to the president and you say, oh, I know him, I know him, and you rush the gate. I know the president. He's my buddy. Unless he knows you, you're going to get tackled, tased, beat, stuffed, cuffed, maybe shot. If you rush the president saying, I know him, I know him. But it's entirely different if he points at you and says, I know him, (laughs) and beckons you to draw near. Let us not be presumptuous to say we know Jesus while we still live in a way that is opposed to him, while we still live a life of service to Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air, the master of this world for a season We still live in an Ephesians 2 lawless way, godless way, satanic way, serving the evil one and yet profess to know Jesus and even doing all these religious things. And yet Jesus said to them, I never knew you, the many, mind you, not just a few, the many. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I don't know who I might be speaking to today. I'm I'm not actually thinking of any of you in particular, but I want to warn all of you because I love all of you and I love some of you in particular. (laughs) Um, Do business with God. Don't play games with your eternal soul. There is nothing more important than your eternal soul. Do business with God. Cry out to the Lord that He would save you. If you have secret sin, if you're secretly living in sin, abiding in it, you're a slave to it, then you're not a slave to Christ. And your profession of Christ is false, and you must repent and confess Christ as Lord. And don't be satisfied with the salvation that leaves you a slave of sin, because Jesus has warned you, many will say, Lord, Lord, And they have heirs of Christianity, pretty good heirs. I've done many things, many, many wonders. I've cast out demons. I've prophesied in your name. They've got Christian lacquer. But they don't have a Christian heart. Which is why Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Practice. Now, I don't want to terrify the redeemed. Practice. If you're born again, you practice righteousness. First John's a good study on that. But you're not perfect. You're practicing righteousness. You're no longer practicing lawlessness. There's a line in the sand in your life where you once practiced lawlessness. And now, by the grace of God, you're born again. You practice righteousness. You're not perfect. You weren't perfect in your practice of lawlessness. Every now and again, you did something that kind of looked good. You might have fooled someone like your mom. But bear in mind, she's easily fooled. Mom always wants to think her little little sweetie is sweet. But we're sinners with hearts that are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked until we're born again from above. And so back to 1 Corinthians 6. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And by the Spirit of our God. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's not blaspheme the name of Jesus. Let's not blaspheme the gospel of Jesus by saying Jesus and his gospel still leaves people slaves of sin. But they're saved. They're justified. Don't you ever doubt it. Let's not blaspheme the name of Jesus, nor blaspheme the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is not a manward work. It's a work of God. It's a miracle of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. When we see someone or we see ourselves, right, if there's a mirror handy, 
repenting and confessing Christ as Lord, if it's real, then it's a real work of the Spirit of God. It's an evidence of the Spirit of God. As Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, how? I can't go back in my mother's womb. What are you talking about? Well, it's like this. It's like when the wind blows, you see the trees move. Well, the trees don't move themselves. The wind moves them, but you don't see the wind. The wind is the Holy Spirit in that illustration that Jesus gave. When you see someone genuinely repenting, genuinely confessing Christ as Lord, it's because the Spirit of God compelled them. And we give them all the praise and the glory. For more on that, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2. If you want to get deep, Ephesians 1 and 2. Deeper yet, Romans 9, John 6, John 10. It's all there. It's all there. And so, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. By the Spirit of our God. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 6. It's normal to read a book in order, right? And so I I trust that when the Corinthian church first got this book, they started in chapter 1. So let's go back to chapter 1 real quick and look in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Is that something we're doing or something being done to us? It's something being done to us. It's monergism. It's what God is doing. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Back up, verse 18 again. For the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. And Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Skip to verse 29 for the sake of time. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We have nothing to glory in in self. We glory in the Lord in his amazing grace, the author and finisher of our faith. For it's, it's of him, it's by him, it's through him that Jesus Christ became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's through His calling that Jesus to us was the wisdom and power of God and not foolishness. It's not through our innate wisdom, our innate goodness. We don't possess that. We possess innate sin until the Spirit of God regenerates. And so, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Are these things we are doing or things being done to us? Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's what God is doing. It's the salvation He authors. It's the salvation He empowers through the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of our God. So what kind of salvation do we want? What kind of salvation do you want the preacher to preach? What kind of salvation saves? That's the one you want. And that's the one you want preached. The one that Jesus preached. Mark 1.15 Repent and believe the gospel. There's a whole world of professing Christians out there who want to say that first word that Jesus uttered, repent, is a word of legalism. It's putting a hurdle between people and salvation. And you must remove that hurdle 
and just tell them to believe the gospel. Repentance is a non-issue or a secondary issue. Well, then why did Jesus say repent and believe the gospel? Why did Jesus send forth his preachers to all the world to preach repentance in his name? Because it's essential to repent in order to believe the gospel. You can't do one without the other. There are faithful pastors, and Pastor John MacArthur is one of them. Back in 2012, he said this in his sermon, Homosexuality and the Campaign for Immorality. And I quote, Also characteristic of this depraved mind is they become haters of God. Haters of God. We're living in the outpouring of the wrath of God in the category of his abandoning of a culture. And we're living in the sequence that is here a sexual revolution, a homosexual revolution, a reprobate mind that unleashes everything, including murder on a massive scale and hate toward God. It was shocking to me a few weeks ago, as I said last Sunday, to see that these very things that God hates and that bring down God's judgment were affirmed as part of the Democratic Party platform. Open sex with government-provided contraception, murder of babies and wombs, God left out of the platform, and homosexual behavior, even advocating homosexual marriage, an oxymoron, since that's impossible. Now, John MacArthur in 2012 said, it's shocking. Nine years later, it's no longer shocking. It's no longer shocking. How quick we have moved from shocked to, oh yeah, of course, we expect politicians to support homosexuality and homosexual marriage. He continues, Now all of a sudden, not only is this characteristic of our nation, but we now promote it. One of the parties, the Democratic Party, has now made Romans 1, the sins of Romans 1, their agenda. What God condemns, they affirm. What God punishes, they exalt. Shocking, really. The Democratic Party has become the anti-God party, the sin-promoting party. By the way, There are 72 million registered Democrats in this country who have identified themselves with that party, and maybe they need to rethink that identification. I know from last week's message, there was some response from people who said, why are you getting political? Romans 1 is not politics. The Bible is not politics. This has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with speaking the Word of God to the culture in which we live. It has nothing to do with politics. It's not about personalities. It's about iniquity and judgment. And why do we say this? Because it must be recognized for what it is. Sin, serious sin, damning sin, destructive sin. You say, well, our society cultivates tolerance and you're giving hate speech, John MacArthur. What I'm saying is not hate speech. What the Democratic Party is saying is hate speech. Because they must hate the homosexuals if they will allow them to go the direction they're going. Affirm that knowing that it will take them to hell. That's hate speech. This is love speech. Hold fast to that. This is love speech. When they say, that's hate speech. No, it's love speech. This is love speech, he says. You either warn them or you affirm them. And Romans 1 warns them. And any faithful Christian warns, quote, this is a dangerous, this is a deadly sin. It's better to warn them than to affirm them. You might be the nice guy to affirm them, but that's not love speech. That's hate speech. There are faithful pastors. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. Pastor Brad Williams pastor of the Beaverton Foursquare Church, in an interview titled The Intersection of the Gospel and Gay Community, never called homosexuality by a biblical term like abomination. He instead used terms like broke, broken, brokenness, struggling with sexual identity, dysfunction, urges, but will not use, did not use biblical terminology. He never mentions repentance. At the 19-minute point in this interview... He declares that he baptized a lesbian couple as born-again, saved Christians who are working through brokenness. So he baptized unregenerate sinners who are blaspheming Jesus with a false profession of faith. As sisters? Did he 
Did he call them sisters? I mean, when I baptize someone, I typically say, it's my privilege to baptize you as my brother in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or sister. But hey, once you're embracing homosexuals and lesbians as Christians, you can no longer really say that, right? That would, that would be maybe to misgender them. You'd commit the, the great crime of misgendering. Anyhow, he baptized a lesbian couple as born-again saved Christians who are working through, quote, brokenness, like the rest of us who all are broken as well and working through brokenness. He stated that lesbian homosexual Christians, which is blasphemy, there is no such thing, are free to serve, free to serve in the local church, free to serve in ministry, and on missions as an important part of their Christian growth. You don't have Christian growth as an unrepentant lesbian or homosexual. And if you're still living and identifying as a lesbian or homosexual, you are unrepentant. You are not born again. There is no possible way to apply 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 to you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. At the 33-minute mark in this interview, he comments on gay marriage. He says, we are inclusive. We want you to be part in pursuing Jesus with us. He's talking to lesbians and homosexuals. We are inclusive, but not affirming. We have homosexual couples who thank us for a place to pursue Jesus. So he baptizes them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He puts them in positions of ministry. He'll send them on missions trips. Um, But he doesn't affirm the lesbianism and homosexuality. What is that? I wouldn't perform the wedding, he says, but I would attend it. So, hear this, saints. He'll baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as a brother and sister in Christ. No doubt not calling them a brother and sister in Christ, lest that offend them. But he won't officiate their wedding? I would sooner officiate their wedding, although I never would. Officiating their wedding would be a blasphemy of marriage. But a blasphemy of marriage is a far cry from blaspheming the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping the devil's lies damn their precious souls and helping, by the way, damn the souls of countless others who say, look, if Sally and Susie, known lesbians, can be baptized as Christians and welcome and fellowship as Christians of good standing, then why would I ever repent of fornication or adultery or idolatry or drunkenness or my own lesbianism or homosexuality or bestiality? Why would anyone repent of anything? We're all just broken in different ways. So you can be anything. You can be a slave of any sin and a Christian too. Brad Williams is a wolf in sheep's clothing. May God grant him repentance. And may the genuine saints that are still at Beaverton Foursquare rise up and put him out and call a true under-shepherd to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there are faithful pastors, and there are wolves in sheep's clothing, and there are cowardly pastors. One more thing about Brad Williams, non-pastor Brad Williams, wolf in sheep's clothing Brad Williams. When it came time, push to shove. What are we going to do with BLM? What are we going to do with Black Lives Matter? This obvious communist, homosexual-promoting, wicked institution. What are we going to do with it? We're going to attend their rally and march in it. That's what Brad Williams did, along with two other Portland pastors of sizable churches. And then he put it up on their church website to tell everyone and, and got lots of accolades. Hey, good job, pastor. That's the kind of pastor we want. How sad. Worse than sad, it's a nightmare that ends in the darkness of hell, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there are faithful pastors, there are wolves in sheep's clothing, and there are cowardly pastors, weak pastors, anemic pastors, who believe the truth but can barely bring themselves to utter the truth, which brings into question how much they truly believe it. They believe the truth, but they won't really defend the truth. They won't declare it 
dogmatically, unbudgingly, clearly. They won't warn the flock. They're not at the BLM rally. They're not openly baptizing homosexuals and lesbians as brothers and sisters in Christ, pronouncing them saved and installing them in positions of ministry. But they won't speak the truth with love either. Lest they be called bigots. Lest their church be cut in half. Lest the goats in their church call for their head and run them out of it. Far better to split the church. Far better to be run out of it and to take the true saints with you than to cry peace, peace, when there could be no peace. And to fail to preach the word, whether in season or out of season. Oh, let's go there. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We never withhold the Scriptures thinking we're going to help people get nearer to the Lord. (laughs) The Scriptures make people wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The law and the gospel contained in the Scriptures make people wise for salvation. The law of the Lord doesn't push people away. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Verse 16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now that ministry of God's word is not very popular in most churches. What is it again? Inspired by the Spirit of God, theonoustos, God breathed. It's actually God's word, every jot and tittle. And thus it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, talking to the preacher, the pastor, God speaking through the Apostle Paul, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. The pastor's job is to preach the word fearlessly. To preach the word in season and out of season. The pastor's heart is filled with a fear of God. Thus, there's no room for the fear of man. If the room is made and a little fear of man sneaks in, nevertheless, the fear of God compels him to overcome the fear of man and to preach the word And if the fear of God can't compel him to overcome the fear of man, to preach the word for the good of men's souls, then the love of God and the love of men will drive out the fear of men. That they would preach the truth, whether in season or out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, that sinners would be saved, that saints would be sanctified. And both are vital that sinners would actually be saved, and that saints would be sanctified so they could be of use for the kingdom of God, made complete and thoroughly equipped, so they could speak the truth with love in a culture that's dying without it. A culture that's being drugged down to hell under the lies of Satan. And again, it's not just the men and women embracing homosexuality, embracing lesbianism, embracing so-called transgenderism. Men in dresses... Butch women. It's not just those who are actively doing it. It's a whole culture applauding it. As Romans 1 speaks of. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Vile passions. These are terms you need to know and use. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. That's a term you need to know and use, against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. Shameful is a term you need to use. It is biblical. We speak the truth with love. We don't hide the truth. We don't suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Back to verse 18, right? Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So people engaged in this lifestyle, this lust, this shameful behavior, this unnatural behavior. They don't like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't know God. No matter what they say, they don't know him. They've rejected him. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. They have a debased mind, not a Christian mind, a debased mind. They don't need to be sanctified. They need to be regenerated. They need to be born again. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God. Hear me, saints. This is a right judgment made with love. Homosexuals, lesbians hate God. Transgenders, so-called, hate God. Men in dresses hate God. Women who pretend to be men hate God. They are not Christians. We need to love them enough to expose the sin and to call them to repentance and faith in Christ that they might be saved. You know what was on the news this last week? Perhaps you called it. The tragedy of this evil culture encouraging children to embrace perversion and mutilate their bodies. That tragedy has come full circle. And now some of these children are saying, look, this did not lead to prosperity. It did not lead to happiness. It did not lead to mental health. It did not lead to anything good except suicidal tendencies and attempts. Why did you allow this? Why did you encourage this? Why did you do this to me? I pray that more and more of those testimonies come out. And the interesting thing is that one of those bringing out those testimonies is a notorious liberal female reporter. But the truth has won out a little bit. And I pray that truth will keep winning out. God's truth is always true. It's always true. No matter who is lying. And when a culture goes so far into the lie that they begin to reap the horrific whirlwind, some people are going to come to their senses and say, wait, wait, this isn't really working. Not individually or corporately. This isn't working. It's not even working financially. This isn't working. Being filled, verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Inventors of evil things. All this new genderless terminology that's been shoved down our throats. Inventors of evil things. This asexual clothing Inventors of evil things. Dress your boys as boys and your girls as girls. If ever there was a time 
to keep the pastels in the girls' closet and the grays and blacks and blues in the boys. It's now. Well, that's just legalism. Now, how about we actually try to protect our children? The devil's trying to destroy them. This culture's trying to destroy them. Put a ball in your boy's hand and tell him to get outside and play with it. Tell him to come home when he's bloody so you can reward him to go back out and get bloodier. (laughs) Quit letting this culture turn your boys into sissies and perverts and your girls into masculine perverts. Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Sadly, it's insane, wicked, vile parents leading these children to their destruction and celebrating it. Sitting them down in front of men's and dresses with hairy backs, an abominable sight, much less behavior, to read children's books to them at the local library. These parents should be incarcerated. The children taken from them, never to be seen again. Only this culture will take your children. If you don't start to speak truth, this culture is going to take your children, dear Christian, and sit them down in front of the man with a hairy back and a dress to read perverted stories to them. But again, from this last week, good news. Some parents, Christian and non-Christian, are beginning to stand up and say no more pushing back on this culture. Don't submit. Stand up and speak truth. Haters of God, violent boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving. They may call it love. Love is love. Love is love. These songs. When I hear country Singers, men that look like manly men. They sound like manly men. Celebrating and defending homosexuality in their songs. It makes me sick. And it's so dangerous. You know, these young wrangler-wearing, cowboy hat-wearing, bronc-riding men singing along to this garbage, this perverted garbage. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. This isn't mercy. It's not kind. It's not loving. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, we all know it. That's where Romans 1.18 started. We all know it. We all know God and we know his law. Chapter 2, Romans 2, says his law is written on our hearts. We all know it, but we suppress it in unrighteousness. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They not only do it, but they approve it, they applaud it, they help damn their fellow man and little boy and little girl. By the way, where's jazz? Where did jazz go? Where did that boy who pretended to be a girl whose parents made him famous to get cash What happened to jazz? Well, jazz fell apart. Jazz got suicidal. And I don't know where jazz is, except in a world of hurt, mentally and spiritually. And his parents helped destroy him to make a paycheck. And TLC or whatever channel that was helped destroy him to make a paycheck. The wage of sin is death. We are reaping the whirlwind. We're getting paid our due wage. And parents and pastors are to blame in their silence, in their apathy, in their worse applause and support and encouragement. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. We all must embrace the truth and speak the truth for love of God and love of neighbor. Homosexuality damns souls and destroys lives and nations. Jesus Christ saves souls, makes life worth living, and gives life eternal. And cultures and nations built on the biblical worldview are blessed and prosper in every way. That is the truth. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for this time and your word. Lord, bless it to our hearts and minds. May we stand and fight a good fight, each one of us, in our various realms of responsibility. May you raise up preachers to preach the truth and parents, Lord, to instruct the truth in their homes. And Father, guard, I pray these precious children, these dear mothers, these dear fathers, and the future generations to come until Christ should return. Lord, may we not submit to the lies of the devil. May we not submit to the prevailing sin of our culture, but stand up and speak truth with strength and courage and love and push back on these lies. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.